Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Liberty Chats, a program with the Steamboat Institute and the Emerging Leadership Council. We are devoted to freedom, liberty, and civil dialogue. With, with us today is Rob from the American Moment. Welcome and thank you for being with us today. It's my pleasure, Zachary. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about what the American Moment is about? You know, there's what are its goals? What are its methods? Uh, what are its priorities? You know, there's a lot of other think tanks out there. So tell us about yourself. Sure. Well, American Moment's goal is, is to have a, a very particular competence, which is in developing young personnel, the sorts of personnel that go into a lot of the, the thankless positions in places like Washington, D.C. I'm talking about the congressional staff that make an office run well and make a member able to do their job right. I'm talking about the junior public policy staffers at think tanks and nonprofit organizations. And I'm also talking about uh, the people who will staff a presidential administration when uh, conservatives take power again. Uh, Really, this organization was inspired by some of the failures to do that during the Trump administration that resulted in the inability to implement some of the agenda that uh, our priorities reflect and that we thought President Trump represented well. And so we are deciding to take initiative to make sure that doesn't happen again by building a pipeline and a cadre of people who will fill these, again, often thankless roles behind the scenes, making public policy actually implemented in places like Washington, D.C., that's excellent. There's definitely a personnel problem for uh, the last presidency. Um, and actually, I was not aware that you guys are also focused on think tanks uh, and congressional offices. So that's excellent to hear. I was, uh, you know, thinking more in terms of 2024. But, you know, congressional offices and think tanks also need good staffers and they can be hard to find. Um, right. So the, the goal is, is to get good staffers. Um, how do you plan on achieving that? You know, like there's people who are interested, but how do you actually train those folks? Sure. So our, our three-part framework is to identify, educate, and credential. And so identify, we, we go out into the country and we find these people from geographically diverse areas because you talk to a, a congressperson, they, their first preference is always to hire from within their district. Rather than trying to fight that, we, we'd like to lean into it. And really, the, the base of, of the Republican Party, of the conservative movement is the great middle of this country. We should have staff that aren't just from California and Texas and New York and Washington, D.C. And so we're going to identify them. We're going to find them. In a lot of cases, they come to us because they're looking for leadership. They're looking for organizations that represent their values, and, and we're very forthright about the vision that we have. Then we educate them. And what are we educating them in? Um, you know, I think that the conservative movement has sort of two answers to the question of educating young people, you know, on, on kind of the, the, the more mass market appeal side, there's sort of popular content. You know, you think about the sort of stuff that, you know, Ben Shapiro and Turning Point USA put out, the stuff that gets people in their in the door, that gets their foot in the door, thinking as a conservative. And then there's the, the very high-end uh, professional uh, sort of academic end. You know, you would think of, uh, you know, for instance, I'm doing the Publius Fellowship at the Claremont Institute this summer, very focused on sort of in-depth philosophical 
readings and writings. We want to be somewhere squarely in the middle. We want to take our audience's intelligence seriously, but uh, it's not uh, in our uh, mission to make them philosopher kings. Uh, we think that they need to have a basic grasp on the public policy issues and politics, and that's what we aim to educate them with through our conferences, through the aggregation we do on our website on AmCanon, uh, through uh, things like our Friday sessions during our fellowships, and much more. Uh, and then the final is credential. By being an institution that is willing to vet and do the hard work of uh, letting an employer know on the front end, hey, uh, we recommend this person and that recommendation means something, that our brand becomes a credential in and of itself that says this person uh, shares our worldview, they're talented, they're qualified um, in, a, in a deep sense of the word. They may not have traditional credentials, but we have reason to believe they're qualified and they're going to be a good worker for you. And so that's what the credential looks like as well. And, and that's essentially how we plan to do it and how we aim to build a cadre that rises to the top of the pack in DC and is, is competitive for these important roles. Excellent. Since you mentioned the conferences and fellowships, can you flesh that out a little bit? Because there, there are quite a few fellowships and conferences. So is it similar to, in format to other conferences and fellowships? Or is, is there something unique? You know, you're, you're casting a very broad net to draw people in. Uh, what is distinctive about, you know, once you get these people in, what then? You know, what's distinctive sure. about those? So I like to think that the way the thing that differentiates uh, American Moment from other nonprofit organizations is that we have a very narrow charge. Our charge is personnel. It's not to develop ideas. It's not to uh, you know change culture. It's to develop personnel. So each of our deliverables, things like our fellowships, our conferences, AmCanon, etc., they have to serve that purpose. Otherwise, it's just waste. And you know we're a nimble organization. We'd like to stay one. And so what's the purpose of our fellowships? Well, we're helping place people in Washington D.C. every day as in Turns, the staff assistants, you know, junior staffers and public policy organizations. Why do we need this fellowship? Well, occasionally, especially as a young organization, we're going to have a challenge placing a particular person that we think is amazing, but they may come from a non-traditional background. Let's say, for instance, that they don't have a college degree or that they're a college dropout. Uh, we believe that the, the great uh, middle of this country, who's the base of the Republican Party and the conservative movement, they don't have college degrees. The people who govern them don't need one either. If we're really honest as conservatives, that college is four years of liberal indoctrination, why on earth would we make that a requirement to be a, a staff assistant to Congress? Uh, mm -hmm. Working in politics is an apprenticeship. Everyone will tell you that. So let's fix that credentialing failure on the front end by uh, creating our fellowship program that uh, whose job it is to take a chance on people who we know we can be confident in and get them their first job. So we've placed 10 fellows this summer, all from non-traditional backgrounds, some college dropouts, some uh, people who uh, would have a hard time affording to do an internship in DC because they don't tend to pay very well. Um, and in some cases, people who may even, uh, you know, have a, a slightly checkered background, you know, maybe they, they work for a Democrat campaign or two while they were still figuring out their worldview, but we know that they're conservative. Uh, again, taking people from non-traditional backgrounds and giving them that first job. Because once they have that first job, it's very easy to get the second job if they're as high caliber as we're trying to make them be. Uh, what about the conferences? Well, the conferences serve um, uh, an assimilating uh, uh, force. You know, We are trying to tell young people that uh, there's a particular uh, type of activism they should engage in for the rest of their lives. It's a little bit different. You know, Some organizations 
prioritize things like punditry, public commentary, becoming the social media influencer, and so on. That's not our priority. It's important work that needs to be done. But again, we're not trying to build a mass movement. We're trying to build a social uh, uh, and political cadre that sees the coolest thing to be doing, the most important thing to be doing, doing this important behind the scenes work. So by bringing those people together from across the country, especially when they're maybe still in college or younger and deciding whether or not they want to do that, and, and interfacing them with people who are doing that, we see our conferences being that place where that can happen. And then also where we can engage in some of our educational work, giving people the specifics of the worldview that we share, which is a little bit different than the traditional conservative worldview of the last 40 years. It's, it's more attuned to meeting the challenges of, of this moment, if you will. Excellent. And I, I agree completely with the difficulty for some people have in getting to D.C. I myself would have never wound up here the first time if I hadn't received support through the college I was attending, Hillsdale. They were very generous, but never before I attended there did I ever think, oh, maybe I should spend some time in D.C. It just wasn't financially feasible. Yeah. Um, I mean, you'd be surprised. I talk to people all the time who, if it weren't for just a bare stroke of luck, they would have never even known that you could be a staffer in DC and be influential in this way. People think that the only way you can get involved is to either be a social media personality, a pundit, or run for office yourself. There's a very limited amount of young people under the age of 25. And our age range is sort of 18 to 25. I think it will organically age up over time as the organization does. Uh, very few people in that age range need to be either running for office themselves or becoming a pundit. In fact, I think it's actively probably a bad idea to turn young people who don't know a lot into, into pundits. And so um, that, that, that is something that, that we consider uh, near and dear to our hearts is, is showing people the, the range of opportunities that are available. Excellent. Uh, you, you touched briefly on you know, what you're trying to achieve uh, in creating this cadre. Can you explain a little bit? You, know, you have 10 priorities on your website. Why these priorities and how do they fit into the rest of the conservative movement? You know, there's heritage, there's Cato, there's a mix of groups in between and farther out. So how did you determine that these were the 10 that you needed to focus on? Sure. Well, everything that we do is oriented around the civilizational crises that the country is facing right now. And I think there's sort of three broad ones. Uh, cratering rates of family formation and fertility in the country. Uh, people aren't getting married. They're not having kids. Uh, you don't have a country if people don't get married and have kids. Uh, the complete disillusion of any sense of national solidarity or cohesion. It feels like we live in two separate countries right now. There's red America and blue America. That needs to be rectified. Otherwise, we're headed for, for a national divorce. And the last is uh, the uh, rise of an actual counter regime to the United States in, in the rise of China, uh, a true uh, geostrategic and economic competitor, uh, a, a conservative agenda that is not meeting those challenges head on and assessing what are the particular policy areas that we need to be pursuing in order to meet those challenges head on is one that's asleep at the wheel. And uh, that requires a little bit of a change in posture. Uh, the challenges that the country was facing when Ronald Reagan was president are different than the ones that we're facing now. And uh, I think that conservative values don't have to change. We believe in family. We believe in faith. We believe in freedom. But the policy approaches, the particular things that need to be tweaked, the five alarm fires are different. And so that's why we focus on things like, uh, you know, trade protection, you know, making sure that we're having fair trade deals for the country. It's why we focus on things like corporate power, which is something the right has historically been comfortable with, but is now biting us in the butt. Um, and, and things like uh, law and order, watching our cities burn last year, immigration restrictions, so on. So that's why we picked out those priorities. We think they encapsulate uh, in 10, uh, you know, well thought out bullet points, what the agenda for conservatives and what our agenda and what our cadre's agenda is going to be for the next 10 to 15 years. 
That's an excellent uh, explanation of the three crises and how your uh, 10 policy priorities fit into them. Um, so you, you have the goal, you have the method. How do you know, some, something I wonder when I see it, you know, new fellowships popping up and there are a lot and people say, donate to us, we're doing great work. You know, how do you avoid, uh, you know, grifters and ensuring competence? Because, um, you know, sometimes I see people, you know, and I've known that they've done, you know, six, seven uh, fellowships. And I, you know, I kind of wonder, like, are they gaining anything or are they just running the fellowship uh, circuit? So how do you guys, you know, ensure uh, competence and that you're getting the right people? Sure. So on our fellowship, particularly, uh, you know, we launched our organization publicly on February 24th of this year. The application for the fellowship for, uh, for the summer fellowship closed on March 31st. Uh, and, and we had eight spots. We, we grew that to 10 thanks to some, some funding uh, increases. But, uh, you know, when you build something like this, you expect, I don't know, five or six times the amount of applicants as you have spots available. We ended up getting 21 times the amount of uh, applicants. We ended up getting 207 wow. people applying. And, and if you read our application page for the fellowship, there were some things that we were very clear about. We said, this is not the program for people who are just trying to get another feather in their cap on the way to law school. This is the program for people who have decided they want to devote their lives to doing this thankless work. And if uh, a, a few people did apply anyway, and it was very clear they were going to law school or grad school on the way out of the fellowship, we, we didn't accept them. We There were people who were deeply aligned with us, who we would consider fulsome allies in the movement, who, because they weren't aligned with the particular career trajectory that we see ourselves as helping facilitate, we didn't accept them. So in some ways, we're, we're extraordinarily blessed. We have uh, the bevy of options available when it comes to who we get to pick uh, to, to invest in and to direct our programming towards. When we uh, do our 200-person conference later this year, I anticipate we'll have well over a 1,000 applications. We get to be choosy. That's a luxury we have. That's a luxury our supporters have invested in us and, and the young people who are interested in the direction we're proposing. But we look for three things when, when we're selecting for people. It's not just an alignment with our worldview, and we're very specific about that. But we also look for a tactical alignment. You know, what is someone's view of the appropriate strategy to move these policy areas forward? And are they willing to, to subsume themselves into that strategy by being part of this behind-the-scenes operational framework? And sometimes that means, you know, deciding to stop being a public commentator. It may mean shutting down your Twitter account. And, and we look for people who are willing to do that. And then lastly, we're looking for people with, with good character and fitness. Uh, if uh, if we're going to spend 15 years arm in arm with people in the movement in DC, you know, they better darn be decent people. Uh, and, and some of that's selfish. I, I, I'd love to, you know, hang out with people who, who are of good character and, and have them be my brothers in arms over the next two decades. But a lot of it also uh, has to do with retention. Uh, People in DC burn out and they burn out easily. Uh, it's not a city conducive to virtue. I, I sometimes joke it's Sodom on the Potomac. And uh, if you don't have people with good character, then they're not going to have an easy time staying and developing the institutional expertise and credibility they need to get to the point where they can actually make a serious impact, to get to the point where they can hire themselves, to get to the point where they can really reach some of those mid and higher level positions in a presidential administration. And so uh, in some ways, it's a, it's a, it's important for our own investment to make sure that we're picking for people who have good character, because otherwise they won't make it in this town for long. Excellent. I think that's a great explanation uh, of your program, what you guys hope to achieve. Uh, and the criteria you look for and, you know, looking for people of good character is, is always impo important. Um, pivoting a little bit, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in this. You know, how does someone wind up uh, starting something like American Moment? 
Uh, through a lot of uh, blessing and good luck, uh, to be entirely candid, uh, sometimes I, I kind of look back on on the windy journey that, that got us here, and, and I'm just extraordinarily grateful. Um, it wouldn't have happened without a lot of fantastic mentors along the way. But uh, just to give a brief summary of how I got involved in politics, I started getting involved my sophomore year of college uh, with an organization called Young Conservatives of Texas at the University of Texas. Uh, I was inspired by the 2016 presidential election to get involved on the right. And so uh, I uh, was thinking, okay, how do I best get involved? Uh, you know, do I do an internship or something? And I was like, let's just go full bore. And I took off my second semester of sophomore year to work full-time in the Texas state legislature. I was the youngest full-time staffer there. I was 17 at the time in the state Senate, working for then state Senator, now Congressman Van Taylor. Um, that office operated like a well-oiled machine. Not only was, was uh, then Senator Taylor the most conservative member of the Texas legislature, but he was also the most legislatively productive. That's how I got the sense that personnel mattered because he had a fantastic staff from top to bottom, chief of staff, down to his interns. Uh, you know, I'd say one of the interns, a guy named Sarab was a little bit iffy, but other than that, the office was great. And so uh, since, I mean, it, it was so uh, profoundly affecting to me that I seriously considered, you know, changing my career track. I was a major in biochemistry and going and trying to get a PhD in political science just to study staffing. It was just so fascinated by this question, but didn't end up doing that. Ended up thinking, okay, I'm going to go to law school, but I'm going to uh, try to encourage young people to get involved in a substantive way, in a real way that lets them have an impact. And I did that through Young Conservatives of Texas, helping young people get involved in state politics out there. Ended up rising to be the youngest chairman of that organization at the age of 20. Um, uh, and uh, over the course of the year, year and a half or so that I led it, uh, doubled it in size, um, 6X the, the fundraising, just you know blew it up uh, and really tried to make sure it was celebrating its 40th anniversary that year. I wanted to make sure I had a 50th and I think it's on track to do so. And so I was, I was wrapping up my time with them last April and, uh, uh, you know, I was scheduled to resign on a, on a Friday and, uh, you know, kick up my feet, go to law school and, and retire. And then um, I read a piece by someone who now sits on our board uh, called, J his name is J.D. Vance, um, author of Hillbilly Elegy. He wrote, a, he wrote a piece called End of the Globalization Gravy Train. And that talked about all sorts of structural problems of the conservative movement, but it also talked about this personnel problem. And I sort of stayed up all night thinking about it. I'm a fairly chill person. I've never done that before. Um, but at 3.30 in the morning, I texted my now co-founders, Jake and Nick, and I said, hey, I have an idea. We need to, we need to Zoom tomorrow. And so bef before I even formally resigned from the other organization, I, I was already uh, planning something new and, uh, and we were off to the races. And so I uh, ended up losing my, my law school deposits because I decided I, I couldn't go and do it at the same time. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I don't regret it at all. And uh, it, was, it was a year of very, very, you know, cumbersome and, and difficult building, but thankfully we were able to launch in February of this year and, and I've already, you know, set ahead a, a year zero agenda that looks a lot more like a year three agenda for a, a less dedicated organization. That's, that's excellent. That's quite the story. And, you know, congratulations, you know, you, you were uh, humble, but clearly a lot of effort went into, into that as well as assistance, um, you know, and luck. Um, so congratulations. So, I mean, final question, uh, you know, summer 2021 is upon us. What is your summer reading suggestion? So I'm going to cheat a little bit and suggest something that we're actually asking our fellows to read this summer. Our, our fellows, they come in, uh, they work four days a week at their at their destination organizations and offices on Capitol Hill. And then they come in for Friday for seminars on politics and policy with us. And we're having them read three books this summer. We're having them read The Once in Future Worker by Oren Cass, which talks about a, a new substantively conservative vision for, for economics. Um, uh, Oren is now the leader of a fantastic allied organization named American Compass. Highly recommend everyone check 
check it out. Uh, the second is a book by one of our board members, uh, Ryan Grudusky. It's called They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created the Nationalist Populist Revolution. I think if someone wants to understand what, what on earth is going on, how did Brexit and Trump and Modi in India and Netanyahu in Israel and Duterte in Philippines, like how did this all happen at the same time in such a short period of time across the world? Uh, that book is, is the handbook. It's, it's like 250 pages. It's super readable, highly recommend it. Uh, and then the last is The New Class War by Michael Lind, who's a professor at the University of Texas at Austin, has been a, a pioneer and, a, and an intellectual leader in this space. He, he's not traditionally identifiable as left or right, um, but uh, has a really robust conception of some of the challenges facing American life, how, why social breakdown is happening, and how a, a, a substantively conservative agenda can potentially solve it. Excellent. Well, thank you for those suggestions. Do check them out. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Thank you for joining Liberty Chats. We hope you check us out and rate us. Thank you for listening to today's Liberty Chat. I'm Erica Anderson, the producer of the podcast. Our podcast editor is Fingers Malloy. My co-producers include Charlotte Whalen, Zachary Rogers, Lindsay Martin, and Christina Eastman, all members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council, who represent the next generation of free market, free speech leadership. We hope you tune in again for our next Liberty Chat episode. Girl, you already know I wanna be I wanna be free I wanna be free, free. I wanna be free yeah.